Thanks for that introduction, man. Awesome. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. Give me this territory. Give me this hill country. Give me this promise. We're in a series called Give Me This Mountain. And there's this idea, and we might even have the graphic for it as well. Uh, there's this idea that we can take hold of the promises of God. We can walk into our promised land. And it's actually a one in a million promise. I say that literally, that it's a one in a million promise. Because the people of Israel, they've come out from Egypt. They've been led out by Moses and they've come into the wilderness. Now, Exodus tells us that there were 600,000 men. They only measured the men in those days. So we can assume that there were 600,000 women as well. And we can assume that they had a whole lot of kids with them. So, so conservatively, uh, we can estimate that there are about 2 to 3 million people, including children, who left Egypt to go to the promised land. So if we say conservatively, there were 2 million. Of that 2 million, how many actually entered the promised land? Two. Now, if I do my math correctly, two out of 2 million is one in a million. One in a million chance of entering the promised land. I don't know about those odds. I don't know about those odds. But I do know that I want to... Learn from the guys who made it. I, I want to get what they had. I want to understand what they understood. I want to have that mindset that they had so that I don't miss out. Because I don't want to be the guy who's wandering around in the wilderness. Because how many of you know you can have enough faith to, to come out of slavery? I think most of us here would say, yeah, Jesus has led us out of slavery to sin and to, to, to judgment. He's led us into a good place. But, but to enter fully into the promised land, well, that's a whole nother matter. And I don't want to get stuck wandering around in the wilderness. I want to learn from those two guys. And in particular, we're learning from one of them, Caleb. I want to learn what Caleb had. What was it about him that saw him enter into the promises the fullness of what God had. Was he bigger? Was he smarter? Was he stronger? Well, no, he wasn't. And we turn to our first scripture, Numbers 14. This is what it says in verse 24. It says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. So there's something internally that's different about him. It's not an external thing. He's no smarter. He's no better looking. He's no, he hasn't got more skills, bow hunting skills, nunchuck skills. He doesn't have those extra skills. He's, it says it right there, he has a different spirit, something on the inside. And it goes on, different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. That seems really simple, doesn't it? 999,999 people follow God to a certain degree, but only one follows 
him wholeheartedly. That's what it says, wholeheartedly. Turn to your neighbor and say wholeheartedly. No, no. Turn to your neighbor and say wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. <laughs> that's, that's more like it. The key to entering into all that God has for us is to go after God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. It, it seems so simple. But that's what it is. And, and in fact, it's actually, it's actually not just in that one verse that we find that. In Numbers 32, 10 to 12, it says, The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Deuteronomy 134-36. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give the, your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land that he set his feet on, because he followed his Lord. What? Come on, help me out, church. Wholeheartedly. It's kind of hard to miss. It keeps getting repeated. There's other ones. I, I'm not going to bombard you with all of them. But I'll give you one more. If we skip forward, they're actually in the promised land now. And this is what it says in Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. So there were 12 spies that went out. Just to remind you, 10 of them came back, and he's describing them. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, he's describing now. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. When the Bible says something, you listen. When it says it twice, you listen a bit harder. When it just keeps repeating it over and over again, we need, to, we need to sit up and pay attention. We need to get this. Because it's, it's all the difference between coming out of slavery and actually entering in to the fullness of God. And it's not that complicated. It's actually so simple. But so few got it. The people of Israel had seen God do amazing things. They had actually seen them take them out of it. You know, Moses led them out with miracle after miracle after miracle. All these plagues in Egypt. And then when they came out, they crossed the Red Sea, another incredible miracle. They had seen his miracle working power. And yet they still doubted his ability to do what he said he would do. Too often we see God do things in our lives and we forget. We so quickly forget. And then we move on and we're, we face an obstacle and we're like, oh, oh you Wow, I can't face this. God, what am I doing here? You, and we forget all the things that he's done before, leading to that point. He is a miracle-working God. And we need to get that spirit of Caleb and Joshua. Because they weren't any, any greater. They weren't any smarter. They weren't any richer. So often we make excuses. We're like, oh, well, if I had this, 
job security, if I had this money, if I had this relationship, if I had this or that, then I could follow God. Quit making excuses. I used to think when I was, when I was at high school, oh, when I'm, when I'm at university, I'll be able to make a real difference for God. When I'm at university, oh, when I get a job, and then I'll be able to make a difference. When I get a job, oh, when I get you know, a degree in, in, in theology, oh, oh, when I, when I, when I. No, no. Now, you can make a difference in your world now because God is there with you in your world. He's done things in your heart that only you can testify to and you can share that with your world. All it takes is us to follow him wholeheartedly. I don't know about you, but I want to follow God wholeheartedly because I know it will unlock my destiny. Because what's the alternative, really? It's to follow him half-heartedly. <laughs> and you know, nobody wants to, to be half-hearted. You go at things half-heartedly, you get hurt. Anybody who plays rugby will tell you that. You try and tackle someone half-heartedly, you're going to end up hurt. You've got to go all in. So the spies, they bring back this report. And there's a, there's a verse that helps us kind of understand it. In Numbers 14, it helps us understand how we go after God wholeheartedly. So, so this is the other 10 spies. They come back and they say, in Numbers 14, verse 7, that the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Sorry, this is Caleb reporting. And do not be afraid of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You see, there's, there's essentially two kingdoms in our lives. There's two competing agendas in our worlds. There's, there's the, the, the godly world of, of love and faith, and then there's the enemy's world of, of fear and faithlessness and selfishness. And here's the deal. In our lives, we're, we're going to follow one or two, one or the other of those. We're either going to become a, a follower of one and we're going to annoy the other or we're going to disappoint the other one and, and go wholeheartedly after the other. You're going to frustrate one of these two kingdoms depending on how you live your life. Your heart is going to bend towards one or the other and you're either going to go wholeheartedly with God, or you go half-heartedly and then you end up following the other. When we bend to intimidation, when we bow to fear, when we, when we, we allow disappointment and frustration to come in and rob us, then we don't walk into the fullness of what God has for us. We Essentially, we're, we're not following God wholeheartedly. Jesus knew this and he picked up on it. He said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love one, sorry, you'll hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus was talking about money in this instance, but it, and money is one of those things, but there are many others in our lives. There are many other things that can take God's place in our heart. Which one are you going to serve? Which are you going to accommodate? Which one are you going to bow down to? Caleb and Joshua, they knew which one they were going after. 
They said, no, you know what? We're going to go after God. We're going to do what he says. We're going to believe that, yes, though there are giants in the land, we are going to go in. We need to decide before the facts. See, Caleb and Joshua decided before the facts. They saw it. They saw what they faced, and yet they still decided to go in in faith. You may see the obstacles that you're coming up against, but do you allow them to intimidate you, or do you instead say, no, I see it, but I'm believing God. Beyond what I see in the natural, I'm believing what God has placed in my heart in the spiritual. Because actually there's a higher reality that we don't see. We don't see heavenly angels surrounding us. We don't get the full power of God that is behind us. But if we did, we would walk boldly into those contentious situations, into those hard places. Because you see, when, when people talk about the purposes and the promises of God and the destiny of God, too often we think of it like this. Put up that slide there, John. We think of it like this present. This present. Yeah, here we go. We think it's a big present with a bow on it that we simply unwrap. This is our destiny in God. This is our future. And all we've got to do is just kind of unwrap it and it's, it just springs out of us. It's lovely. It's all gift wrapped and laid out for us. Too often we have that mindset in the church that once we become a Christian, this is what it's all going to be like. It's not. This is actually more what it's like. Okay. What? Okay, I may have stole that from Peter Jackson. Uh, big, ugly orc armies defending castles. You're going to have to go in there and fight because it's a contested destiny. The promised land for Caleb and Joshua was a contested land. They didn't just waltz in there and unwrap it. They went in there and they fought giants. They went in there and they fought big people. The Nephilim, they were called. I don't know exactly how tall they were. But they were big. They were really big. Seriously, what planet do you live on that you just think it's all going to be unwrapped for you and laid out? Like, join the real world. It's a, it's a contested destiny. There are two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. God has a purpose for you, but everything good in your life has to be fought for. God has things for you to unlock but you're going to have to take them. You're going to have to fight for them. You're going to have to commit to a battle. Now, so you take that down if that's just scaring you, intimidating you a bit. It's easy to understand why the people of Israel thought that they were just going to waltz in there. Because they were told many times how lovely this place was. Exodus 3. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's promises not just once, it's repeated several times. In Exodus 13, 5, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy 31, 20. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey. So they were, they just keep hearing this. Oh, we're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. They must have thought it would be something like this. 
that, that they, were, they were heading in. They, they, got, they got, yeah, that. They got the lucky ticket. <laughs> they got the golden ticket. And they were heading in to, to the chocolate factory. R.I.P. Cadbury's. Uh, they, were, they were heading in to this amazing promise that they would just be able to pick chocolate off the, the trees, that the land was flowing with milk and honey. But actually, it was more like this. Again, yeah. Or the next one. I don't know. I thought I had a different one. Oh, maybe it is different. It's still an army of big, scary people. You see, it was a land flowing milk and honey, but it was also a land full of giants. And the ten spies came back with this report. They said, in Numbers 13, 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which he sent us. And it does. They, they testify it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That's the giants. So it is a great land. But it's currently occupied by some pretty scary dudes. And here's the, the, the trouble for us. The promise is good. It is wonderful. But... You're going to have to fight for it. God has a business for you to run. He has something amazing for you to do, but it's going to be intimidating. God has amazing influence for you to bring to your family, to your friends, but you're going to have to face down those fears of what they may think of you. God has amazing, extraordinary plans for you to, to touch people's lives, to change things in the world that we live, but you're going to face opposition in there. See, the difference between the ten spies and Caleb and Joshua is that there were no buts in their report. They reported the promised land. They reported how good it was. But they didn't say, ah, but we can't take it. They didn't say, ah, but it's full of these. They said, yeah, there's some giants here, but we, we can do it. God is with us. 1,999,998 people knew that God had something, but it was too scary. Two of them knew that God had something, but they faced that fear. They didn't accommodate the agenda of the kingdom of darkness. They went with the agenda of God's kingdom, which was to head in to the promised land, was to take what God had for them. It's actually that simple. You're probably you're going, oh, I'm get, I get this, Dave. I get this, yep. You got your point over. But I don't know if we really have. Because if we got that, then we would live differently. Joshua 14. I'll give you heaps of scripture here today. I hope you like it. Uh, Joshua 14, verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, here it is again, wholeheartedly. Hebron, put some brackets there, used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. So the biggest giant of the giants used to live in Caleb's territory. 
So if anyone had any excuse not to take their promised land, it was Caleb, right? Because he had the biggest giant of them all, the biggest, scariest one. But Caleb was like, yeah, give me the land. I want the land. Give me this mountain. It's a great place. Yeah, there's some giants, but I can do it. I can take it with God's help. And, and get this though, get this. When he actually gets there, next chapter, Joshua 15, verse 13, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. We got that. Then it says, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites. The three Anakites. Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. So not only is the, the biggest giant, he's got his three sons with him as well, who probably get a bit annoyed when Caleb takes out their dad, I would be thinking. So, so not just one big ugly giant, but his three sons as well. But Caleb takes God at his word. He sees past the giants. See, that's the thing you'll find in life, is that you overcome what you think is the biggest giant the biggest thing you face, and then what do you come up against? <laughs> Another one. Actually, that's a bit what life is like. You just, you're just overcoming one thing, and you're overcoming something again, and you're overcoming something again. But the thing is that what you've done in the past in overcoming that first giant has strengthened you and, and taught you and empowered you to overcome the next one and the next one and his brother as well. You can overcome those things because of what God is placing in you if you go into battle. But too many of us, we just sit back and we're like, oh, no, it's too hard. I'll just hang out in the wilderness. And while God will provide for you in the wilderness, you know, there's manna that comes in the wilderness. There's quail that comes in the wilderness. God is looking out for you. He's feeding you. But you're missing out on the land flowing with milk and honey. And you settle instead for just handouts from God. Too many of us are living in the handout world. We're just going week to week having handouts from God. When actually there's a promised destiny that we can walk into. Today I want to stir you this morning. I want to stir you church to get up for the fights. Because it is a contested destiny. God has things for you but he won't just give them to you on a silver platter. There's something for you in your community. There's something for you for your neighbors. There's something for you in your workplace. There's something for you in your family life. There's so much more for you in those spaces. But you've got to take steps of faith. You've got to say to God, God, give me this mountain. Give me my neighbors, God. I want them to know you. Give me that mountain. Give me my workmates, God. Give me my friends. Give me that business opportunity. Give me, I am taking this mountain. I'm circling this and I'm going to pray into this and I'm going to believe into this and I'm going to trust and I'm going to take steps of faith till I see that come to pass. It was a long time for Caleb. Do you know how long? Well, you do know. Most of you will know that it was 40 years. 40 years hanging on to that promise. Oh, I would be sick of it after four months. <laughs> oh, I, would, I wouldn't last 40 years. Seriously, 40 years. 
And yet, Caleb, and we'll, we'll get to it, I think. We'll get to it soon. But just look at Caleb's attitude in Joshua 14. Yeah, no, here we are. Joshua 14, 10 to 12. Now, as you can see, Caleb's attitude, he's saying, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. I don't know if that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> Maybe, but he's got faith for it. So give me this hill country. Give me this mountain that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living in there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. You've got to love his attitude. You've got to admire his spirit. At 85, I would have been like, I would have been making excuses. Oh, my knee's a bit dodgy. I can't fight those giants because, you know, I've got a bit of arthritis. Can't hold the sword quite as well as I used to be able to. You know, oh, I've got a bit of whatever because you're 85, but not Caleb. He's like, no, God is with me, so I'm up for a fight. God is with me, so let's do this. If we want to see God's kingdom advance in Tamaru, if we want to see God's kingdom come to pass in our world, then we have to be up for a fight. We can't just sit back and let our lives pass us by. We need to get the spirit of Caleb, who when at 85 years old, goes up and takes on his giants. He's not settling for mediocre. He's not settling for anything less than what God has promised. Come on, too many of us just settle. We settle in the wilderness. We're like, well, things are pretty good here. God provides for me. Yeah, okay, maybe I'm living in a tent. <laughs> and yeah, maybe we just keep seem to be wandering around the same area. Uh, I'm sure I've seen that hill before. But, you know, things aren't too bad. And we settle. Come on. I think it's actually especially true in New Zealand. We, we are people who like, who avoid conflict. We don't like conflict, do we? We will avoid a confrontation at all costs to the point that we won't, you know, message someone that we can't do a thing because we're worried about what they might say, so we just don't do anything. Like, I, I consider that rude. Uh, but, but that's kind of our culture. We don't want to offend, so we just don't do anything. The trouble is in the spiritual, if you're like that, you don't go anywhere. If you don't step up to fight, if you don't say, no, no, I'm going to take this. I'm going to do this with God's help. If you don't get some Holy Spirit mongrel in you, then you're not going to see anything change. You're not going to see your world transformed. We avoid conflict in our, in our spiritual lives to our own peril. And to be honest, that's exactly where the enemy wants us. He's actually not that concerned if... You come to church, and you go to e-group, and you do your weekly Christian thing. If you are ineffective, if you're not taking any grounds, if you're not standing up for the kingdom of God, then he's like, well, okay, I might have lost them to the kingdom of darkness, but at least they're not doing anything with it. 
at least they're just, you know, I've put them in a wee box over there. No, God wants us to break out of that box, to go into all that he has. And the only way we do that is following him wholeheartedly. We will miss out on the future that God has for us unless we go in wholeheartedly. Because there is another whole agenda, that whole other kingdom of darkness that wants us to settle for less, wants us to accommodate, wants us to just let things pass by and, and, and don't, don't ruffle any feathers and don't do anything great because who knows, you might not make it. You might fail. Well, so what if you fail? If you fail, it's for his glory. It's for his purposes. At least you know you've done something. Come on, church, you need to give me a bit more feedback. Or am I just, just stunning you? You're like, oh my goodness. Did Dave take his medication this morning? What? How many coffees has he had before church? Just the one. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to live a half-hearted life. I don't want to lead a half-hearted church. So that starts with how you encourage me. In my that starts with how we praise God in our worship. That starts with who we are on Monday morning with our workmates. That's how we live our lives. Day to day, are we following God wholeheartedly? No one follows a half-hearted person. Richie McCaw, when he led the All Blacks to World Cup victory with a broken foot, he didn't do it half-heartedly. He went all out. He laid his body on the line. Sir Ed, when he climbed Mount Everest, he didn't do it, oh, sorry, Sherpa Tenzing, we're just about there, but I'm a bit tired, and uh, I'm not... Just, I'm not going to go whole. No, he went wholeheartedly. He gave it his all, and that's why he's so revered. You can't serve two masters. It's actually that black and white. We often get stuck in the gray, but it's black and white. We either go after God, or by default, we, we allow the devil to have his way in our lives. We've got to be devoted wholeheartedly to God. I actually had a whole another half a sermon. <laughs> this was just my intro. But, uh, but I really feel that God wants us to land here. He wants us to, to get this, and he wants us to respond to this call. So if I can invite the, the worship team up. It's a call to arms, essentially. It's a, because church, Pastor Sam Monk uh, says church is simply a whole bunch of friends encouraging one another to go higher in God. That's what we're about. We're, we're about spurring one another on to go further in God. And I hope that I've stirred something in you. Because if we're honest, if we're truly honest with ourselves, too often, yeah, we're a bit mediocre. We're a bit half-hearted in our commitment and our following. Of God. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying you have to tick all the boxes and, you know, give it everything right. No, it's not about that. It's about your heart. It's about where that is at. Is it divided? Are you like, oh, I want to follow God, but if I step too far into that, then what will happen to my finances? Or if I step for, oh, I like to have my own time, my own space. So, uh, will that... Oh, you know, I want to keep my family first. Well, tell you what, if you put God first, if you follow Him wholeheartedly, then your finances, your family life, your every area of your life will be blessed, will be better, will actually fulfill you. Because if you go half-heartedly, the thing is it won't fulfill you. 
there will always be this nagging. And you're like, ah, what is it? What have I got to do to see, you know, fullness in my life? Can I tell you, you've just got to be like Caleb and Joshua. You've got to go, yep, I'm going after God. I'm taking hold of the promises that He has for me. There's this telling, telling verse in Numbers 13, 33. When the other 10 spies come back to Moses and they're describing the Nephilim, the giants in the land. And this is what they say. They say, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. The 10 spies weren't bad people. They weren't particularly sinful or, 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 you know, or evil. The thing that distinguished them from Caleb and Joshua is that their eyes were fixed on themselves. They were, they were looking at themselves and like, we, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. How did they know how they looked to them? They were so introverted, so self-focused that they just projected onto their enemies what they thought they were feeling. Caleb and Joshua, Joshua they, did, they didn't look any different. They weren't any bigger. They weren't any stronger. But their view was different. You see, instead of looking at themselves, they looked at their God. And they saw how much bigger and how much greater and how much more powerful their God was. And because they looked at God, they could follow Him wholeheartedly. You see, when you, when, you, when you start looking at your own problems, you start looking at yourself, you start getting inwardly looking, then you stop following God wholeheartedly because you start internalizing and introverting and, and getting all focused on your problems. You need to take your eyes off those things this morning, church. Yeah, you've got issues in your life. So do I. Yeah, there are things that are not perfect. There are things that are far from perfect. But when I look to my God and I follow Him wholeheartedly, I see how I can overcome. I see a God who is able to help me in those things. I, I want to, I wanna, just where we are right now, if you know in your life that you are not wholeheartedly following God with all you've got and you want to, then I'm going to ask you to stand. And there's no shame if you feel like you are wholeheartedly following God. That's cool. You could stay seated. seated. But, but I know for me, I, I'm standing, not just because I'm standing here holding a microphone, but I know in my heart I need to be following Him wholeheartedly. I want to give Him all that I am. And I would love to pray for you this morning. That's awesome. I, I, I don't know about you, but I know that there's something that is stirring in me because I want us to be a wholehearted people, a people that go after God with all that we are. So let's pray together. Maybe you want to just lift your hands in an act of surrender. I don't know what you want to do. Maybe you need to kneel. But let's just give ourselves wholeheartedly once again to our God. Father, we thank you for this amazing example of Caleb and Joshua who went wholeheartedly after you, God. And Father, we say right now, we are sorry for we we have We've gone half-heartedly, where we've just been dabbling, where we've just kind of gone a little bit, but then pulled back. God, we right now, and we know we need to do this daily, but God, we say we are yours 100% wholeheartedly. 
God, we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we don't look at the problems. We turn our eyes away from the issues, God, and we fix our eyes on you, Jesus.